Welcome to Podcast West Seattle. I'm Andrew. This infectious indie pop was performed live by the band Phoebe Kinks at the Skylark's open mic on Wednesday, May 16th. There's a wide variety of talent and style each Wednesday at the Skylark. And you can find more from Phoebe Kinks on Bandcamp and Facebook. There is a new demo. It is pretty awesome. That's Phoebe spelled P-H-O-E-B-E, Kinks. On this episode of Podcast West Seattle, we celebrate summer by encouraging you to get outside. First, we'll visit with author, blogger, West Seattle resident, and park enthusiast, Linnea Western. But I feel lucky that I live in West Seattle because, you know, parks are incredible. Then we'll head to Alki for one of the best nice day coffee experiences at Ampersand Cafe. Eruption, as everybody knows, of Kilauea on the Big Island. We actually are not able to source our Kona coffee for our espresso. Then we chat with author David B. Williams about his book, Seattle Walks, and take a walk through Del Ridge and Pigeon Point. And from that, was then able to put together the story of the bunker, which went with the story of the military, which went with the story of the building of the school. This is Podcast West Seattle. The sun has been shining over West Seattle most afternoons. The days are getting longer, and it's time to start exploring West Seattle's parks. In what we hope will be a regular occurrence, I met with Linnea Westerlin. We met at Lincoln Park to talk about her parks project and some of her favorite West Seattle spots. I I just always enjoyed being outside, and I grew up in the Northwest. I like skiing and hiking and stuff like that with my family. And I have been in West Seattle for 11 years now. Mm -hmm. Um, And then... In 2009, I had my first kid, and I ended up staying home for a while, and it was sort of the late spring, early summer time, and I just felt like I needed a project. I needed (laughs) needed to get out of the house with Mm -hmm. my kid. So the idea just literally popped in my head one day that I was like, I wonder if anyone's ever been to all the parks in Seattle, and I wonder if I could just do it like in a year. And so I set up the blog Year of Seattle Parks and I started going out. It ended up taking me just under four years. And one of the reasons why it took me that long is that I ended up having twins in the middle of the project. But I did finish and I've now since then going to a lot of other private spaces that are open to the public, um, waterfront street ends, other regional parks. And I'm continuing to add to my database on my blog. I've got almost 500 parks on there. So I set it up really just as a resource for other people Mm -hmm. to find different parks by whether or not they have playgrounds or trails or viewpoints and things like that. And I really just fell in love with being out and exploring and taking pictures and talking to other people about parks. It was like the easiest thing to go and talk about. And then a couple of years ago, I connected with Mountaineers Books and decided to write the book, um, Discovering Seattle Parks, which came out in June of last year. I have literally spent hundreds and hundreds of hours in parks all over Seattle, but I feel lucky that I live in West Seattle because, you know, just the parks here are incredible. Uh, In West Seattle, my favorite, probably my favorite park, the Emma Schmidt's viewpoint along Beach Drive, um, just because it seems like nobody goes there except for kind of locals and people that really know it. I love going there for sunset and just bringing a chair. Uh, I spend a lot of time in Lincoln Park. I'm probably here a couple times a week walking and playing down on the beach. And I love Camp Long, too, because I think it gets 
forgotten, as amazing as it is. There's so, so many West Seattleites have never even been there. And it just has those great trails and all the history. Um, so those are probably some of my, my favorites. I like Loman Beach too. That's our closest little park. Great little waterfront beach spot. That's Linnea Westerland. You can find her online at yearofseattleparks.com. And her amazing Discovering Seattle Parks, A Local's Guide, is available for Mountaineer Books or at your local bookstore. Before we head out on our neighborhood walk, I recommend stopping for coffee. Perhaps the best summer destination in the city for coffee is Ampersand at Alki. I stopped by to talk to Daryl, the co-owner, about Ampersand's story, the coffee, and the food. Daryl Waits, co-owner of Ampersand Cafe on Alki, along with my wife, Marissa. And we are coming up on our fifth year, I believe, so finishing our fifth and starting our sixth. I was the executive sous chef for a Todd English restaurant on the waterfront that's no longer there, but it was in the Marriott across from Anthony's down there. And my wife was the pastry chef there, and that's how we met. We've been down here since 2009, actually. We used to own the restaurant next door, Slices, the pizza place. It was the right opportunity for us as, as young chefs. We were both looking to expand beyond what we had been doing. Yeah, just total happenstance. I never wanted to uh, be at the beach in particular. I'd only right. been to Alki a couple times. The crowdedness, or however you want to say, down here is incredibly unique because nowhere else in the city do you get that, I don't feel like, where you get people from all over, from Everett down to Tacoma, essentially coming out here on the weekends when it's busy in the summer. And you really get to see little snippets and cross-sections of every walk of life. It's cool to get those little vignettes. You want a to-go cup or a scramble? Any room for cream? No. Several percentage points higher in the summer, so it's about six months uh, that we uh, really get a chance to do some business. There is a, a really loyal, wonderful clientele that we have. It's just amazing the amount of support that we have, the number of people that we've met, and the friendships that we've made. Um, they really make the business uh, more than just fun. So my wife is actually from Maui. We felt pretty strongly about trying to incorporate Hawaiian coffee into what we were doing, if we were able to. We love the Hawaiian coffee, not only for the flavor, because it's rich, but it's smooth without being overly acidic or anything like that. But we really love to be able to send dollars to Hawaii that are non-tourism related. And I also like the idea of keeping things, you know, local where we can. And so Hawaii is the only state in the United States out of all 50 that is able to produce coffee. Speaking of that, the eruption, as everybody knows, of Kilauea on the Big Island, we actually are not able to source our Kona coffee for our espresso uh, right now because of that. So we're going over to Seven House Espresso Blend. And then the food, uh, my wife and I both have culinary backgrounds. So we make like all the bread, all the pastries, all the cookies, everything that we possibly can make, we like to make. I don't like to bring pre-made product in if I don't have to. We do everything out of a very small electric convection oven. Ampersand being the name of the and symbol. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it allowed us to just kind of keep adding things on. Uh, and the, the nice thing about that as well is it, I feel like it doesn't allow us to be pigeonholed into one certain specific thing. I don't want to be just anything dot dot dot. Thanks, Daryl, for making time to talk. Ampersand is located at 2536 Alki Avenue. And now we take a look at a great way to get out and enjoy some outdoor spots you might not normally notice, including the story behind 
the Pigeon Point Mystery Bunker. We are shaped by the landscape around us as much as we shape that landscape. So it's it's all part of a relationship. That is author David B. Williams. His most recent book is Seattle Walks, Discovering History and Nature in the City. So by getting outside, walking, looking, turning off your phone, um, paying attention to what's around you, I think you'll find Seattle more interesting and a more enjoyable city. He advocates for people to have a greater sense of connection to and awareness of their environment. His guided walks from the book offer a unique blend of history, geology, environmental science, and good old guidebook sensibility. I spoke with him about what motivated his book. I've been thinking about this for years. I mean, I grew up here. I've always walked around Seattle. So I always had this, maybe not vision of a walks book, but a vision of, I've always been walking and I've always been looking and wondering and asking questions. I led walks for sort of all the different nonprofits that do walks, like Museum of History and Industry, Historic Seattle, Seattle Architecture. Mm -hmm. So I would start doing those formally for people. Um, and then I would also, my wife and I were regularly taking friends on walks. I'd go, okay, let's, we're going to meet here. Here's a walk that I've laid out. Let's do this walk. So there were there was a combination, and then... The book consists of 17 walks, spanning various neighborhoods all over the city. The two West Seattle inclusions are Delridge and Pigeon Point, the lesser-known side of West Seattle, and West Seattle, Old Growth, and Alki Point. I asked if there were any West Seattle walks that didn't make it into the book. I actually wanted to do one that was Lincoln Park and Fauntleroy... Um, in that area, so a little bit south of the two walks that I did. And I wanted to look at the, the forests over there and talk a little bit about some different ecosystems, be able to talk more about the, the bluff at Lincoln Park and the swimming pool, and then obviously the, the, the forest up at, at Fauntleroy is so interesting. So the madronas in that area, particularly up at, up at Lincoln Park, I mean, I think that when I think of the ecosystem of the Seattle area, prior to European settlement of this Douglas fir with hemlocks and cedars, I think of that as the dominant ecosystem. And, and I think we forget that there was this sort of icing, if you will, around the rim of much of the city of Madronas growing on the bluffs. And that, so Lincoln, was that was one of the things that I wanted to address about that was that aspect of the ecosystem. When I started work on thinking about a West Seattle walk. Um, as I said, I knew the Schmitz Park, Miqua Mooks one was something I wanted to do. And then uh, I, we were with some friends and I, I walked up Longfellow Creek and sort of, you know, did this long walk. And I, and I originally had a vision of doing a sort of a different walk to actually drop off of Pigeon Point down to the Duwamish, go along and then pop up at the very north end of Duwamish Head the series of steps that would take you sort of up and over and back down into Delridge, but that didn't mm -hmm. work out. And so we were walking along Pigeon Point one day and walking along, there's that, the, the barbed, I guess it was barbed wire fence, but it was a chain link fence. What's behind that chain link fence? As fun as it is to read and talk about the walks and Seattle walks, it's more fun to walk them. I met up with some West Seattle friends on a partly cloudy Sunday morning in May to explore the northeast corner of the Duwamish Peninsula. Okay, so 
Here we are on the uh, Dell Ridge and Pigeon Point West Seattle Walk from David B. Williams' Seattle Walks book. So I'm going to have the members of the party just say your first name here. Uh, Paul. Vicki. Nathan. Jamie. And I'm Andrew. So Dell Ridge and Pigeon Point, the lesser known side of West Seattle. After a short walk up Longfellow Creek, this route leads over two less explored but interesting neighborhoods. Distance 4.4 miles. We are starting at the cul-de-sac just east of Southwest Yancey and 28th Avenue. And that's Longfellow Creek right there. We'll be following it for most of the first half of the hike. The walk has several long flights of stairs, the longest of which ascends 135 steps. This walk starts out on Longfellow Creek, leaves the creek to explore the neighborhood to the east, and returns via the site of a historic stairway. Ladies and gentlemen, the Longfellow Creek Legacy Trail. Artist Lorna Jordan designed the Dragonfly Pavilion so that it appears ready to take flight, offering vistas of the watershed's rolling topography. Yeah, there's, there, I've seen pictures of this from the air and it like looks pretty rad. The second of Lorna Jordan's large art projects along the creek is her Salmon Bone Bridge, which was built to accommodate the creek at the flood stage, as well as to provide a more visceral experience of the fish that used to regularly, now less often, swim up Longfellow Creek. Is that the skateboard? The Delridge Park? Yep. Because Delridge days is where they have like yeah. the community. It's just a bunch of booths and... Not. Yeah. Elliptical. <laughs> that's totally just it's totally just an elliptical machine on a playground yeah. isn't it I love that. in addition to guiding you to the great longfellow creek trail system hidden right in plain sight seattle walks provides plenty of interesting history to ponder while walking the neighborhood sections 26th avenue and the streets eastward to 23rd were developed by the puget mill company in 1918 as the working class cottage grove neighborhood see i assume like this house right here is probably like one of the originals yeah uh -huh. it's pretty adorable parks scattered along the way with lots of opportunities to connect with nature. The park honors Greg Davis and his commitment to the Del Ridge neighborhood and to the establishment of a place that he hoped would include green meadows and trees that people can enjoy. There's a slug. Yeah, we have rain. Don't step on the slug. To return to the creek, follow the trail that heads south from the kiosk and wraps around the west side of the grassy area. It's kind of like being out in the woods right here. A little bit. <laughs> hear birds and everything. Barely hear traffic. follow it to the second wooden bridge slash boardwalk. To the right is a clearing and a beaver pond. Ooh. To the beaver pond! I see beavers. 
No one knows exactly how many beavers are in Seattle, but based on the number of beaver colonies on urban creeks, 500 would not be unrealistic. Oh, there's a dam right there. Yep. Where's the beaver? Right there. Well, that's a beaver dam. As occurred on creeks across Seattle, the Longfellow beavers arrived on their own, found suitable habitat, water and food, and built a colony. At this point, the route leaves the creek to explore the ridges to the east. Cross Del Ridge Way at the crosswalk, which takes you to the Louisa Boren School. No dogs, cats, or pigs. That's so Damn. random. That's so funny that they had to specify. There's a staircase that ascends Southwest Graham Street. 129 steps up. Take a break before you begin your climb, it said. Oops. <laughs> Continue east on Southwest Graham Street across 21st Avenue Southwest to a staircase down into the ravine of Puget Creek. This was one of my favorite moments in the walk and one that truly needs to be experienced in person. After descending a long classic Seattle staircase, you find yourself completely surrounded by the green space of the Puget Creek Ravine. No buildings, no trails, just a sidewalk to another staircase on the other side of the ravine. In recent years, neighborhood residents have rallied to protect and restore the creek. They stopped a proposed development in the ravine, have removed invasives, and have worked with neighbors to return their yards to a more native environment. They're also working with the Duwamish tribe at the lower end of Puget Creek, where it drains into the Duwamish River. For just like this green, there's like a sidewalk that is connecting two streets that's like three blocks apart, just with staircases. And two very small streets. Too. Yeah. yeah. Very small streets. Kind of disheartening to see those stairs over there. Oh, yes it is. <laughs> Oh, yeah? Oh, thank you. All right, within the campus of South Seattle College are two small gardens well worth exploring. Opened in 2011, the Seattle Chinese Garden is a cooperative project with Seattle's sister city in China to create a Sichuan-style garden. Adjacent to the garden is the Arboretum, which students established in 1978. We actually considered having our 10-year anniversary here. Really? Yeah. It's a, like absurdly cool space. Yeah, it really is. The road cannot go straight because of the steep ravine to the north. This green space is part of the West Duwamish Greenbelt, the longest continuously connected forest in the city. Check out this view right there. Oh yeah. I don't know what road that is. Is that Del Ridge? Looks like it's in another part of the, the city, though, doesn't Seriously. it? It's, yeah, it is Admiral. That's the bridge, like, down in front of it. You have now entered the Pigeon Point neighborhood. Sign up here. I had never been in this part of West Seattle never at all. Been in this never. Part. Yeah, it has kind of like a, like a rural, small-town vibe to it. It really does, yeah. The area east of the road has a curious history. And we finally arrived at that chain link fence in Pigeon Point, 
1941, the government began acquiring property on the ridge. In 1958, the University of Washington acquired the property. Seattle Parks and Seattle Schools acquired it in 1998. The parking lot of the elementary school was built directly atop the underground bunker. This is perhaps the most interesting part of the entire walk. And interestingly enough, there's nothing to see. But what a backstory. Let's check in again with David B. Williams. Definitely my favorite research project for the books. The the barbed, I guess it was barbed wire fence, but it was a chain link fence. And I was like, oh, that's sort of weird. Why is this chain link fence here? It just seemed, here's this green space and here's a chain link fence. So I started asking around and people said, oh, they did nuclear experiments there. They spied on the Japanese during World War II there. I'm like, yeah, give me a break. Uh, so I started investigating and found a map that gave a little bit of information so that I knew that, that the University of Washington owned the space. And then I was able to find another map that the federal government owned it. But with that, I was able to track down through the National Archives out at Sandpoint this file for the Washington, Alaska military communication and telegraph system. Linking Alaska to Seattle and the rest of the United States, the site eventually totaled 44 acres and included several tuning huts, housing a five-car garage, a concrete transmitter building, which was built underground so it would be less vulnerable to attack. And from that, I was able to sort of piece together the different tidbits that told the story. So one part of the story came from the National Archives that had a map that showed what the landscape looked like when the, during World War II. I was able to track down some older records. And then once I found the UW connection, but I distinctly remember one day being at the University of Washington and one of the librarians saying, I'm going to look in, you know, the, the medical and engineering files. In 1958, the University of Washington acquired the property, and of particular interest to oncology researcher E. Donald Thomas was the subterranean transmitter building. Thomas's work began with dogs and continued with humans who were irradiated and then transferred from Puget Ridge across town to a hospital. The work was so successful that Dr. Thomas won the Nobel Prize for Physiology or Medicine in 1990 for his work on bone marrow transplant research. And from that was then able to put together the story of the bunker, which went with the story of the military, which went with the story of the building of the school. That was how I put that story together. It was just dogged, uh, some luck and some just determination of, like, you know, a series of pieces to put together a puzzle. Recently, a variety of groups have worked to restore the site and many other parts of the Greenbelt. Descend the stairs, turn right on 23rd Avenue Southwest, and walk north to Southwest Andover Street. The total stairs you descend is 153, which means that she just came up 153 <laughs> stairs. <laughs> oh, and doing it again? Five times. Right. Oh, wow. <laughs> Uh, I feel like going to the gym when it's so nice out. Right. That's yeah. true. Walk west to down southwest Hanover Street to Del Ridge Way Southwest. The walk concluded for us with a trip to Uptown Espresso for some much needed coffee. All in all, the walk took about two and a half hours. It's fun, extremely informative, and a great way to get out and explore the finer points of our fascinating community.
A big thank you to author David B. Williams for making time to talk to Podcast West Seattle. David B. Williams is the author of several books, including The Seattle Street Smart Naturalist and Too High and Too Steep, Reshaping Seattle's Topography. We will hear more from him on the next episode of Podcast West Seattle when we take a closer look at the West Seattle Walk, Old Growth to Alki. And finally today, let's take a look at a few upcoming events on the Duwamish Peninsula. The Southwest Seattle Historical Society is opening a new exhibit. I stopped by to find out more. Hi, I'm Jeff McCord, and I'm the executive director of the Southwest Seattle Historical Society, and we also operate the Log House Museum. We're really excited to be announcing our next exhibit, which will be opening on June 9th from noon until 2 p.m., and it's called Fired Up, and it's about the firehouses of the Duwamish Peninsula. We hope that everybody will come out and see this wonderful exhibit, and we look forward to seeing you here. Thanks, Jeff. Next, we check in with Michael Wallenfels from Arts West. He talks about a couple of upcoming cabaret performances and a look ahead at the last two shows of the season. We've got a cabaret series, our after-hour series with Matthew Wright, which are always a lot of fun. So the first one will be at the very end of this month, Monday, May 30th. We'll have Danny Hobbs um, kicking things off. They're all uh, performers that are pretty new to the Seattle stage, but really exciting new performers, extremely talented, the kind of people that you'll be seeing a lot of as the years go by so this is a chance to see them at their start of their careers um so there's the first ones on may 30th the the next one's on 7th and then a week after that on 14th back to back to back um the second one is nicholas japal bernard who will be hedwig and our hedwig and the angry inch coming up um, at the end of the season and the last one is tyler dobies who's a really wonderful performer who if anyone came to see peter and the star catcher here last season he was part of that ensemble so those are really cool. And then we're wrapping up the season with um, a two-play repertory, Lady Day at Emerson's Bar and Grill, which is about one of the last performances of Billie Holiday, and Hedwig and the Angry Inch, which is a really extraordinary rock musical that probably a lot of people are familiar with. And this is your chance to see a really cool production of it out in West Seattle at 149 seat theater. so don't miss it. And now, many West Seattleites may not be aware of the numerous great activities provided by the Seattle Public Library. I checked in with Jane Appling to hear more about what's going on at a library near you. Bring your kids, bring the grandparents, bring your friends, bring anybody you like down to Delridge Library on Monday afternoons for a library lab. Discover and play with all kinds of tech gadgets uh, and STEM concepts and challenges there on the 18th of June. Uh, with the makers of the South Side are coming to help people build mechanical toys at the uh, library lab activity on Monday the 18th, 4 to 7, at Delridge Library. A really incredible program coming up on Saturday, June 9th, at the Southwest Branch from 10 o'clock to 3 o'clock. It's uh, an e-textiles program where people will be learning how to use sewing machines to create textile products that incorporate electronic devices. So it's 10 to 3 on June 9th. Pre-registration is required. Just contact any branch and we'll get you signed up for that. You have a great idea thinking of starting up your own business. We have a business resource open house on June 14th, also at Delridge Library from 3 to 5 p.m. We'll be bringing in all kinds of funders and consultants, support organizations who could help you explore and research your market, your competition, learn about doing business plans. All kinds of resources are there for you. So come on down June 14th at the Delridge Library, 3 to 5 p.m. On Thursday, June 14th, that's 6 o'clock at the Southwest Library, we'll have Eric Wagner talking about penguins. 
he has a new book out on penguins in Patagonia. Uh, he'll be there to talk with you uh, about his, his book, answer questions, and uh, also those books will be available for sale. And of course, starting in June, we have Summer of Learning activities for all ages. Uh, book bingo is underway for adults, so come on down, get your bingo card. Prizes include season tickets to Seattle Lights and Lectures and a variety of other things. So bring, bring yourself, bring the kids, bring everybody down for Summer of Learning activities kicking off towards the end of June. That's all for this episode of Podcast West Seattle. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe, tell a friend, or share the link if you know somebody you think would like Podcast West Seattle. Until next time, here's more Phoebe Kinks.